Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening, where we continue our reflections into the richness of the gospel text that we will hear this Sunday. And of course, this Sunday is the first Sunday of Lent. And I will be having this conversation this evening with Debbie Rizal. So Debbie, great to have you with me another evening. It's wonderful to be here. So Debbie, we are in the first Sunday of Lent. And hopefully this Lent for all of us is unlike any other. Why? Because this is the Lent that comes to us during the year of mercy. Mm. Uh, I thought it would be good to kind of look at the significance of that. You know, what should we be thinking about during this Lent, during the extraordinary Jubilee year of mercy? Well, um, we have to go to the heart of it. And by that, I mean, what is mercy all about? But reconciliation Mm -hmm. and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. You know, forgiveness is really the outgrowth of mercy. Reconciliation is the outgrowth of mercy. And so this has to be the question we ask ourselves, you know, what person in our life do we need to reconcile ourselves with? Um, First and foremost, hopefully that's the person of Jesus Christ, that we go to the sacrament (laughs) of confession and receive that mercy. But we are also called to be bearers of this mercy. And maybe there isn't any one person, but what I would ask is this, is there a relationship that is still uh, languishing for one reason or another? and you don't see it right now, to look at that again. Um, and, and this is a question that comes from my own reflection. I don't know if I am at odds with any one person as much as there are relationships in my life that I need to allow God's grace to invade my soul through and through, mm-hmm. and that I really enter into the deeper meaning of what this great extraordinary Jubilee year is all about, mercy. Because if I enter into that, then I will better understand what it means to forgive what it means to authentically love, to will the good of the other, to put the other first before you. How are we doing that in our relationships? And are we allowing God's grace to permeate our lives, God's mercy to permeate our lives, that in fact we are finding our relationships indeed restored in that grace and in that mercy? So it's a gentle challenge, but a challenge nonetheless to look in the mirror and to ask God, okay, Lord, I seek your mercy in and through the sacrament of reconciliation, but also how are you drawing me deeper into this mercy? And to ask that question um, within the context of your relationships, very important. You know, a link to that also, and we spoke about this a little bit before we started the show, is with forgiveness comes freedom. Mm, Amen. Because how do you feel when someone says, Deb, I'm sorry I've hurt you. Will you please forgive me? And I say, oh, goodness, yes, I forgive you. Or if I do that for someone else, what happens immediately? Immediately, both souls are flooded with grace Mm. and Mm. with mercy and joy, I might add. Amen. There is great power, (laughs) Debbie, in those words. I am sorry. So powerful. I remember it was, I think, during Lent last year where Pope Francis talked about how there is power in some of the phrases we use, and there is great power in other phrases that we use, and there is great power in those words, 
I am sorry. And to genuinely mean it. Right. To, to be authentic. Right. To allow those words to invade your soul. Mm-hmm. That existentially now, when you see that person, you're not all bound up. Right. 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 <laughs> because we often say those words, I am sorry. And yet it is very difficult for us to still be in the presence of that person. Right. And in, for some of us, we can't even still stand that person. Well, mm-hmm. is that genuine forgiveness? Right. There's an existential barometer, if you will, mm-hmm. um, when it comes to reconciliation, forgiveness, and mercy. And so we are called to enter into that. Uh, and by saying entering into that, the power of those words and the power of Jesus Christ behind those words. Yes. Because let's be honest, Debbie, it is not easy. No. It is a very difficult thing. It's humbling. Thing. Yes. It is yes. difficult. Now, what does St. Augustine say? Life is a struggle in grace. Well, let us start living that life. Yes. And by that we mean then, let us start struggling in God's grace, right. overcoming ourselves, mm-hmm. allowing God to, again, invade our souls, that we might learn the language of forgiveness and reconciliation. We're all just walking wounded, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We're yep. all just walking wounded. And the essence of forgiveness brings healing. Mm-hmm. There's a healing mm-hmm. factor that um, is very, very important. And without it, we just continue to hemorrhage, mm-hmm. you know? So you put a little Band-Aid on your brother on, on one of his wounds when, mm-hmm. we, when we do that. That's a beautiful thing. Um, we're talking about this now because it is the year of mercy and we have started Lent, so we need to be talking about it and we need mm-hmm. to allow this challenge to, to be at the service of our lives right. because we will be better for it. Okay, mm-hmm. with that, Debbie, let us uh, jump into our gospel text and I believe we are at the beginning of uh, the gospel of Luke chapter 4, huh? Mm-hmm. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live on bread alone. Then he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a single instant. The devil said to him, I shall give to you all this power and glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I may give it to whomever I wish. All this will be yours if you worship me. Jesus said to him in reply, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. Then he led him to Jerusalem and made him stand on the parapet of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and with their hands they will support you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him in reply, It also says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. Amen. What I would like to do, Debbie, off the top is look at the significance of the number 40. Why the number 40? Well, the number 40 is very important in sacred scripture. We see the number 40 as symbolic, especially in the Old Testament, for probationary periods of of trial, fasting, and uh, purification. The number 40 is linked with the flood. The number 40 is seen in Moses' fasting on Mount Sinai. 
Uh, the number 40 is also seen with Elijah's fasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see it linked with Israel's wandering in the wilderness, as well as Israel's oppression under the Philistines. We, uh, we see it with the spies' inspection of uh, Canaan in the book of Numbers. Um, we see it with the story of Jonah, right? The Ninevites and, and their repentance at uh, Jonah's preaching. So the significance of 40 is far and wide. And it is because it points again to this probationary period of, yes, the Israelites, but more generally of God's people. And I say more generally of God's people because it points to us. You know, we, we need to open ourselves up to the significance of fasting. We need to open up ourselves to the significance of being purified in God's love. It's interesting, Debbie, we were talking a bit earlier. If you were to go into the Old Testament and translate uh, the Hebrew word for fasting, it best translates as to cover the mouth um, or not to eat. Uh, the, the Greek nestia translates that, not to eat. So it's very specific to disciplining the flesh so as not to eat, uh, not to drink. And now, why? I mean, why are we called to discipline the flesh? Why are we called to abstain from eating and drinking? Well, there's redemptive value in it. I mean, it's pointless if there's no such thing as redemptive suffering. It's pointless if there's no such thing as conforming ourselves to the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus calls us to fast. There's the beautiful image offered up from uh, one Matthew Kelly, where he talks about fasting as being the prayer of the body, the prayer of the body, which is a very rich image. What does Jesus say in the gospel? Your faith saves you. Your faith saves you. Okay. (laughs) If you were to combine Debbie faith with the power of fasting, you offered up earlier the image of a rocket. I don't know if there's any one thing that launches prayer more than that. Mm -hmm. Offering up our flesh as a prayer in faith. Uh, That is what God is asking from us during this season of Lent. You know, we fast so as to remove what is in the way of our relationship with God. We detach ourselves from those things that we are most attached to and those things that are getting in the way of our relationship with Jesus Christ. So it is time to examine our personal relationship with Jesus Christ and ask ourselves the hard question, what is that one thing that I am most attached to? What are we being called to detach from? What are we being called to fast from? Yes, food and drink, but there are other things as well. As we are invited again this year to our annual retreat with Jesus in the desert, mm-hmm. and that's how I, I think of it. And and. It's the reason we have this reading as we begin mm-hmm. Lent is because we are being invited by our Lord himself into the desert with him. It's a retreat with him. It's interesting that the, the event right before this is the baptism of our Lord in the Jordan. So he goes from this beautiful high point, yeah. this miracle where the heavens are opened and, and the Lord proclaims, you, know, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then he the Holy Spirit leads him into the desert, into this time of preparation and purification. Well, he's pure, so he doesn't need that, but he needs to be strengthened mm-hmm. for this mission, just yeah. like Moses, just like Elijah. Mm-hmm. That's what the purpose was. Mm-hmm. They were getting ready for an incredible mission, as was our Lord Jesus, as are we, as mm. are we, folks. Yeah, Our mission field's here. It's interesting, Debbie, that you use the image of this extraordinary place 
when you're talking about his baptism, mm-hmm. because the Greek word for leads is drove or better translated throne. It's just, uh. he's being <laughs> thrown from this high place into the desert, yeah. right? And he's being thrown there by who? Holy Spirit. Yes. 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 For a reason, for a reason. Um, he goes into the desert because why? We have been expelled from paradise. Mm-hmm. And he goes to that very place where we are at to bring us back and to show us how to live in the desert. So very important. Yeah. <laughs> he was thrown. That, that, that always that. strikes me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Debbie, this temptation narrative, you know, we think of temptation and we think of sex, food, and drink. Right. But in reality, in these three temptations, they have nothing to do with sex, food, and drink, but everything to do with what? Power. Mm. Everything to do with power. Mm-hmm. You see, our Lord wants us to see that he's not concerned with all of these dazzling external impressions. He doesn't care about that. Satan thinks he does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Satan thinks he, he does. Is. Yes, yes. <laughs> and Satan thinks, <laughs> Satan thinks that at his greatest point of weakness, he can get him to perform these great miracles. Right? Mm-hmm. But in point of fact, when Satan thinks he's weakest is when Christ is actually strongest. Right. Why? Well, because on the outside, yeah, sure, he, he looks weak, but what has he been doing for 40 days? Mm-hmm. He's been fasting from yeah. food and drink in the desert. Right. Right. And so Satan sees this And he says, now is my time to swoop. There's a point that should never be overlooked here. We have this idea that Satan sees all things. Mm -hmm. And while he has a supreme intellect, having a powerful intellect does not equate to wisdom because wisdom starts on bended knee. And Satan, in this temptation narrative, proves his absence of wisdom because he goes in for the kill, Mm -hmm. if you will, literally speaking, Mm -hmm. when the son of God is strongest. Mm -hmm. That's the paradox of Jesus Christ. And isn't it fascinating? What is that last verse we read? You read for us, Debbie. He left him for a time Mm -hmm. because he knew he would find him another time. And what Mm -hmm. we know that other time as the garden. And yet once again, he is made stronger in that temptation. So what we are made to see here is the power behind our fasting Mm -hmm. and ultimately that wisdom is gained in through that fasting to overcome the wily ways of the adversary. There's something very interesting about the way Jesus handles these temptations. We have a lot to learn here. I invite you to really take this passage and, and pray with it. One of the things is Jesus does not engage him in conversation. He quotes scripture. Mm -hmm. He does not engage him in conversation, he, he says truth, unlike Adam and Eve, who engage him, do they not? Mm-hmm. Part of the, you know, the backstory of Adam and Eve, you know, Satan was a big, ugly monster. The word there we've talked about, it's more like this beast, this mm-hmm. monster, this yeah. dragon. Yeah. It's huge. It's fearsome. There had to have been some time, some relationship, some trust built to overcome just his physical image for Eve. She entered relationship with him. She had conversations with him. He knew how to draw her in bit by bit mm-hmm. because that's what Satan does. Yep. He does it in increments, small little increments. And so our Lord just says, you just don't engage him. Okay. The temptation comes, you banish it. You start praying, you start quoting scripture, you put your armor on, 
You don't engage him. You know, what's interesting <clears throat> there, Debbie. I'll interject this one point because yeah. I think it's so important. He's quoting scripture on the hills of Satan quoting scripture. Right. That's very important. Yes. And why? Because Satan is quoting scripture. We often think in, in today's age that someone is holy or someone is is on the path towards holiness because they know so much scripture. Mm-hmm. And all fine and well, that may be true. But no scripture in context. We can take any one scripture passage and manipulate that passage for our own agenda. People do it all the time. To know scripture is to understand the context of sacred scripture. And of course, as Christians and as Catholics, we have the beauty of 2,000 years of saints and doctors of the church who afford us so much to reflect with when it comes to this, the importance of understanding the old in light of the new and the new in light of the old so as to better understand how Jesus Christ is the the fulfillment of the prophetic thrust of the Old Testament. So knowing Scripture in context is a is a key point here. It is. It is. This. And it's almost like, so our Lord quotes Scripture, and then Satan's almost like, oh, we're going to play a little Bible mm. ping pong, yeah, are yeah, we? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here's some Psalm 91 coming at yeah. you. I just found that very interesting, the placement of where he was like, oh, yeah, I know Scripture. Uh-huh. Oh, is that where we're uh-huh. going? Uh-huh. I got it. Yep. Just such a mm. rich passage. So when temptation comes our way, you banish it. There's nothing wrong with that temptation in and of itself. In fact, it can strengthen us. It can bring us to virtue, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But the other thing when, we're, when we are being really assaulted, and let's say we're, we're banishing and we're thinking of Scripture, call on the Holy Spirit. He's our defender mm-hmm. against evil. That's right. Call on him. For strength, that's what he's there for. Yep, that, yep. He, that's what he. That's what his job is. So we use what we have: prayer, fasting, scripture, all these things. We'll talk about in the face of temptation. Yeah, and let's talk about temptation, Debbie. You know, a lot of people out there think, well, if good comes from temptation, then temptation must come from God. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not the case. Um, <laughs> temptation is the consequence of Satan. We must remember that when you talk about love itself, inherent in love is what? But freedom, right? Because you can never impose love. Love must always come from within, Mm -hmm. not from without. Love is never coerced. Love is never browbeated. God was not going to force Adam and Eve to obey him because that's not love. In order for love to be love, it must be free. Mm-hmm. But what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Well, it means we have a free will to choose right or wrong, good or evil. As you've already spoken to it, Debbie, Adam and Eve chose poorly, right? Yeah. And the consequence of that poor choice is sin that humanity has been ravaged with. So that being said, God is going to take anything and everything at his disposal and bring a good out of it if we open ourselves up to it, right? right? So uh, one church father origin says there is great usefulness in temptation. Why? Because as Paul reminds us, where sin arises, grace abounds all the more. Right. If we are tempted by a particular sin, uh, well, if we lean into the power of God and his grace and overcome that temptation, we are stronger and better for it. Right. And that's the key that unlocks the mystery of temptation itself. It does not come from God. It comes from Satan. As we were joking around earlier, and you know, Scott Hahn once said that, um, <laughs> you 
your greatest advocate of holiness is Satan. Why? Because if we can overcome his temptations, we are made that much more holy. That is something to, re- to reflect with mm-hmm. because ultimately it teaches us how and why he would use the cross as the greatest sign of holiness and the greatest sign of victory. St. Paul, you know, talks at length in um, 2 Corinthians about his weakness and how God makes him strong. And Mm -hmm. so all through that 12th chapter of 2 Corinthians, you know, go to that and read how raw, how um, honestly Paul talks about the thorn in his flesh. Yeah, yeah. And we all have them. We all have them. I love in the Magnificat reflection, there was a, a line here that I just found so beautiful. And it said, our temptations are moments of grace, moving us to call on the name of the Lord in our weakness, longing to be saved. What a beautiful reflection. Folks, our temptations can bring us closer to the Lord. You know, let's say you're being tempted and you aren't even trying. You're at the grocery store and you look over and there's a half naked lady. And the temptation is, you know, maybe to just ponder it a little more Mm -hmm. or maybe to buy that magazine. Mm -hmm. Now you weren't seeking this in any way, but that temptation enters your mind. The moment you say, and turn your eyes away and say, blessed be the name of the Lord or whatever it is that you use. Amen. In a way of praising God, we're turning away from that temptation. What happens? We do feel stronger. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. say, I can do this with the grace of God. I can do this with the help of my God. So it's not on our own, but we're strengthening that virtue. And every time our eyes turn away, and this is male and female, I might add, mm-hmm. every time our eyes turn away, we have grown in virtue. Amen to that, Debbie. And it should be said, we were talking about power earlier. Our power is in this weakness. Our, our power mm-hmm. is in this turning away yes. because we grow stronger. Mm-hmm. There's this great passage that comes to us from uh, Wisdom chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. God tested them and found them worthy of himself. Mm. Like gold in the furnace, he tried them, and like a sacrificial burnt offering, he accepted them. In the time of their visitation, they will shine forth. You see, temptation is something useful in God's providence because of God's grace, because of God's grace. And you said it earlier, Debbie, we need to lean into this. Now, what is that great passage that comes to us in Romans chapter 12, verses one to three? Once we accept that we are called to be a holy and acceptable offering to God, that our very lives are called to be a spiritual worship, will we then come to understand what we're talking about now? Because a two- p.m. and early afternoon grocery run, Debbie, is not when we might be thinking about holiness. It's not when we're <laughs> thinking about offering things up. We're thinking about getting the milk and the eggs mm-hmm. and whatever you need to make dinner that evening. You're not talking, but the Christian genius and the Catholic genius counters that mindset and says, no, that is the very moment to which I have called you to go deeper into my very mystery. I mean, that is the moment that I've called you to become a saint, mm-hmm. right? It's easy to do great things when everyone's looking, right? Because we get the pat on the back. It's a very difficult thing to do great things when no one's looking. Absolutely. And Debbie, you spoke to it well. When we look over at that magazine rack 
and we see all of the soft pornography and we turn away Mm -hmm. and we turn away and we praise Jesus Christ. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I'll go one step further. We pray for the individuals, the souls and the families that might be destroyed because of that garbage. So there is a call as we're talking about this to see that each and every moment has uh, a divine quality, Mm -hmm. that each and every moment is pregnant with eternal significance. If we can grasp that, then we are, we are well on our way, Debbie. It's our mission field to sanctify the mundane, right? To sanctify the mundane. Amen. Those, those little small things, the grocery shopping, the cooking of the meal, the homework with the children, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> you're sanctifying and tell me you can't grow in virtue yeah, doing yeah, all, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I failed many a time. But we're invited to that, to sanctify the mundane, everyday things of our life, and then to give thanks and glory to God for those things. And once again here, we ought to bring in uh, why St. Therese of Lisieux is a doctor of the church. Mm-hmm. This Carmelite cloistered nun who died at a very young age, who you know didn't have a whole lot to say really as a doctor of the church because what little she did have to say focused in on this very point to sanctify the mundane. Her tagline has always been, my vocation is to love. Mm -hmm. And to say that is to understand, Debbie, that with the gift of freedom, we have been given the potential to love in the most profound way and all of those great sacrificial acts that God calls us to. But also at the same time, we have been given the choice to also choose the gravest of all evils. And so we live in that tension. Yes, we do. We live in that tension of what we should and should not do. Mm-hmm. And so we are called to a former conscience, Debbie, a former understanding of, you know, the objective moral standard and what Christ has set up in the deposit of faith so that we might, yes, be formed, have that deeper wherewithal so as to choose Christ in all of those little moments. Uh, very important as we begin this journey of Lent, very important as we continue uh, during this extraordinary Jubilee year of mercy, where, man, if there's anything we should be thinking about, it is um, the moment-to-moment grace we are called to share in, because this is where God's mercy abides, and we should never overlook that. Let us ask for that fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit this Mm. Lent. Let's ask him to strengthen us to seek and to follow Christ into the desert and to follow his example. Amen. Why don't we go ahead and close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 530 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.